film and television. Merely entertainment, right? No. There's so much more to film and television that changes our perspectives. And as a result, we can have different, either realistic expectations or non-realistic expectations about what life is really like. Whether it be horror that helps us develop a habit of turning every light on in the house or a comedy that helps us relieve tension in the saddest times of our life. I want to go in the Wayback Machine and find out exactly what movie helped shape you. I'm Oma Shadi, and welcome to the Between the Bannisters podcast. Welcome back, folks. I'm excited to talk about this one because, um, like I just told her, I've not <laughs> seen this film in over a decade. So we are going to be talking to uh, one of my favorite people, Miss Elena Scott, today, um, and she will introduce the movie. I will let her do that. But a little bit about Elena before we get started. She is a graduate of Cal Arts and has been a computer animator for the last 20 years, working on video games, films, some of your favorite films, television, and she became interested in screenwriting in the summer of 2017 and hopes to one day create an animated series or write and shoot a film someday. So, Miss Elena Scott, say hello to the folks. Hello. Hello. Hello, beautiful so, people. Yes. So, what are we talking about today? Uh, this it was really hard for me to pick one because I just have so many, and I'm very bad at picking favorites of things. But um, <laughs> just because of my personality and also uh, it being such an influential film on me as a kid, it was kind of like my Star Wars for like people in their 50s and 60s who went and saw Star Wars in the theater and that put them on a trajectory in their life. My film is going to be Jurassic Park, partially because ever since I was a little kid, I was obsessed with dinosaurs. I just was like, couldn't wrap my head around the fact that like these giant behemoth creatures, monsters almost were used to just dominate the earth for millions and millions and millions and millions of years. And like humans, even as a little kid, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't totally educated on how long humans have been around, but I knew it hadn't been a million years. So, you know, <laughs> like to me, it was just all so fascinating. And then um, I remember being super excited for this film. I was already a big Spielberg fan. Obviously everybody is because he's a, a master. Um, and I remember my mom let me take that day off of school and we stood in line for three or four hours. I don't even know. We, we were in line oh, wow. for a really long time. My mom took me to the theater and we sat in line. And I remember seeing the movie for the first time and just being so struck by it. not not only the score, but like just, you know, the, the filmmaking, obviously it was, you know, just a perfect film filmmaking wise, but seeing the visual effects of the dinosaurs and you know for the time this was 1993 so we're talking you know what is that almost 30 years ago oh so, hurts i know <laughs> oh, God, 29 years ago um, yeah i was 15 but just being so blown away and so engaged and like i can remember um the part where the kids are crawling through the air vents and there's an opening and one of the raptors jumps up. Like I literally threw my whole giant bucket of popcorn onto my mother. <laughs> it startled <laughs> me so much. And then years later, I got to work with um, one of the supervising animators on that film. His name's Eric Armstrong. And he'd animated some of my favorite scenes from the film, like the um, the scenes when the kids and uh, Dr. <laughs> 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 on him now. Oh, my God. Sorry, you caught me in a brain fart. The, <laughs> the kids and the doctor are hiding 
um, you know, they just kind of escaped from the electric fence and they're trying to get back to the compound and then all of the gallimimuses are running after them. And then you see like the T-Rex, like the, he had done the gallimimus scene and he was able to tell me all these stories because uh, back then, you know, computer effects in films was still kind of a burgeoning thing. And mm -hmm. so they brought the computer animators to Hawaii while they were filming the film and they started doing the visual effects there. So he was telling me all these stories about them using, I think they were using um, an early version of Softimage. Is there any computer nerds out there? Um, <laughs> they didn't have inverse kinematics, which if you're a computer animator, your, your jaw just dropped that they animated without it. <laughs> or they had a very, very, very uh, primitive form of it. So the sure. fact that they were able to get such beautiful performances out of the dinosaurs, considering the, the tool set they had to work with is just like, you know, but mm -hmm. it was always such an influential film for me because I love dinosaurs. I love the filmmaking. I love the storytelling. Like, um, I'm always, you know, a hardcore Spielberg fan. And obviously some of the things that we uh, most attribute to Spielberg as a Spielbergian thing were influenced by earlier filmmakers like Tchaikovsky. And pro I'm not, I actually went to CalArts as an animation student, even though it's a film school. So I got a bit of a film education there, but mm -hmm. I was mostly focusing on animation, which is more of a trade, to be honest. I'm still on this journey of learning about film history and, you know, learning as much as I can about storytelling and what makes good writing what makes good filmmaking and like I've in the last what is it probably 11 years I've worked on visual effects but I've I've worked on different parts of, of the production so I've worked in final animation but I've also worked in pre-visualization which has taught me a, a lot about filmmaking and storytelling and you know basically we we go in there and we're like the first camera team and the director can start exploring ideas lenses setups and everything in the computer in a very cheap and quick way before they bring the camera crews out and all the expensive setup and everything like that but that's pretty much why previs has become such an integral part of filmmaking nowadays that even movies that you wouldn't think needed previs have had previs because it's just a way for the production to estimate how much their visual effects budget's going to be estimate you know how much of a you know what kind of edit they're actually going to need. Cause a lot of times they'll write something into a script, they'll storyboard the whole thing out. They'll shoot it as an animatic. And then once they start getting into previs, they can cut it more tightly and they mm -hmm. find that they need less shots and stuff like that. And like someone like Spielberg can get several shots out of a single camera, just by the way that he blocks actors and the way he blocks the camera into two shots, one shots, wide shots, you know, all using, one camera without a cut you know so that's kind of stuff that you can explore in previs and it's um helping me understand filmmaking in a much better way so it, it's kind of been a really fun ride so far since i got out of games and got into visual effects because i've started to learn a lot more about filmmaking and storytelling and stuff that i, I don't know it just makes me feel happy when i can start unlocking these things that other directors have known for ages you know but like i'm learning it as i go along and it's it's been really cool how does it feel to be in that such an embryonic stage of the production because we don't as an audience member hearing that and hearing the process that that you've done for these filmmakers that we don't I mean that's some parts that we don't see like we right. just see the end product and and as a screenwriter as I'm, I'm sure you're you're not getting 
bitter about it. <laughs> but you're yeah. understanding that a lot of these filmmaking um, processes are really praising Messing the director, they're praising the yeah. producer, they're praising, but they're not really doing a lot of below the line work and attention. So how does it feel being such an integral part of that stage of it, knowing that you you might be in the driver's seat of what the end product could be? It's a really cool feeling. I mean, I, you know, it's funny because a lot of times there'll be previs supervisors who work very closely with the director and the producers and, and actually really do leave a stamp on a film, even though, you know, it is the director's film and it's the director's vision. Um, but they, you know, they do actually leave an impression. And, and every once in a while, you as a previs artist or animator get maybe a sequence or a shot in that was your your idea that maybe wasn't even in the script but they you know so that can happen once in a while and it feels really cool but it's also just really fun to be part of that early process and see how it's changed and like where it goes and I can remember years ago in 2014 I worked on um, Avengers Age of Voltron and uh, I was able to do some pre-vis and post-vis on that and I was able to go through like very early storyboard cuts of the the film and see you know in my opinion like some of the stuff that that uh joss had written and that they boarded out was so fun and so clever and kind of like just what you expect from his stuff you know his personal crap aside like um <laughs> which, yeah yes. and then it, what and what ended up happening on in the film is you know it goes through the executives and you know it, it all gets it's like an interesting watching how the sausage gets made. Yeah. You know? So it's kind of cool because you're like being able to see a window into things that most people won't see and stuff. But at mm -hmm. the end of the day, sometimes you're a little bit bummed about how it changed when you see the final thing. But it's like, it's I've always enjoyed it. And I, I enjoy post-vis as well because post-vis is kind of like doing a rough version. Like you yourself is a rough visual effects pipeline in that they shoot the plates and it might be all blue screen or like there might be somewhat of a set, but then there's blue screens, blue screens that you have to remove and, and add a set to, or so you'll get the raw plates. And then you as an artist have to use camera tracking software to create a CG camera that matches the live action camera. Then you have to take that into a 3d package and do whatever needs to be done for the shot, whether it's, you know, a set extension or a car chase or adding a creature or whatever it is and then you add some like temporary lighting and whatever effects you need to do and then you render that out and you put it in um, a compositing software and like I'm mostly using After Effects and then we go in and we do Roto to make sure that like things are placed over things and like blue screen is removed and a lot of animators wouldn't want to go through that <laughs> <laughs> for some reason like I just have fun with the process because you get to like sure exercise different parts of your brain you know going through one whole shot so I, I spent a lot of time last year working on post-vis and pre-vis and then I got the uh, chance just the luck of the the fact that like the Spider-Man No Way Home team at Digital Domain uh, needed a few extra finals animators and they suggested me for it so I was like super stoked because I got to do pre-vis post-vis and finals on that movie and well yeah <laughs> that's probably the first time I've ever gotten to do that many different steps of the pipeline you know but I, I find it really fun and, and I also love uh working with other people because there are other people who are in various stages of their career with pre-vis and some people you just learn a lot from because they're like really great at camera or some people have really great uh 
tricks to quickly block things in or, you know, there's just, and there's other people who are really good at after effects that can help you. Um, and people in the visual effects community, I found more so than in any other uh, realm that I've worked in, just tend to be very supportive of one another and very helpful. And, you know, there's no kind of egos involved, like everybody's just trying to get their stuff done. And so if I ever needed help with something, people were very willing to help me. And the same thing with me, if there was something I could help out with and I would do it and everybody just kind of comes together, helps out with that. And I found that working on um, like Loki, definitely I was, I was getting a lot of help up front, but then they hired on other people who were a little more junior and I was able to just help help the supervisor and the lead by getting them kind of like kicked off on everything and how the pipeline works and stuff so because they were just so freaking busy trying to get the series done so yeah yeah it's kind of works like uh you guys everybody just has to come together and like support each other you know Mm -hmm. but it's definitely really cool to be able to see this stuff before it comes out and then see how it's changed or what the final result looks like because a lot of times we're just doing the the we're just doing the rough sketch and then it gets sent off to somewhere like ILM or Weta to get the final animation done for. So you get to see how it turns out and it's just, it's fun. You know, it never, I, it never gets old for me. <laughs> That's awesome. Because I yeah. think like just listening to you and I think that for me, I'm fascinated because I'm just trying to understand. Yeah. I am not an animator and not computer literate. Really. I'm barely, barely hanging on Elena to the, <laughs> the internet I know how to open uh final draft and type things and that's pretty much it yeah but just to hear the passion in your voice about what you do and how it doesn't feel like a job and I want you to to take me back to 15 year old Elena okay watching Jurassic Park and how you feel that it shaped what you do now and how it drove you to do the things you're doing now yeah I just I remember just not being able to believe how realistic it looked. And I, you know, when the movie came out on VHS, I had to buy it. And when it came out on DVD, I had to buy it. And when I was at CalArts, I didn't know that I was going to go into VFX. Like, I still thought I was going to be like a Disney animator. I still thought I was going to do traditional animation. But um, it was kind of like, uh, it was kind of like, let me think. So when I was a kid, I didn't know I was going to do VFX, but I knew that that movie changed me somehow um, because it looked like there was something out there that had sparked something that was going to be bigger, right? Because like the the reception of that film was so great. And, you know, I think it really was a trailblazing film for visual effects artists that... um, I knew that I wanted to do something like that when I grew up. Like I didn't know how or what, but like it just was a transformative moment, you know, like I never thought in a million years that I would ever be able to work on movies like that, but it was like something, it put a bug in my brain, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of just grew and grew. Um, And when I figured out that there was a place where I could go and learn how to animate, that was when I knew exactly what I was going to do in my life and that was you know only three years later when I was my first year of college I was at Otis College of Art and Design and they didn't have any kind of animation program at the time the only thing they had really was at least that would have interested me was toy design or fashion design and I don't think I would have done well in either of those things (laughs) those are not very support you know sustainable jobs now so I'm very glad that I had a a life drawing teacher who told me about CalArts and that how the students there made their own animated shorts and that just was like the moment that I knew 
what I needed to do with my life. And so I quit Otis. I took a year off because it was too late for me to apply to CalArts. And I feel like I, I, I got into CalArts solely because that year they uh, dub- almost doubled the amount of students they were accepting. I think they were just oh, trying wow. something new. And so I got in. <laughs> I mean, squeaked to be in. Fair, I squeaked in. Yeah, but I did. I I did a um, like an after school adult animation program uh, that during that gap year, and so I had um, animation, uh, little animation tests to show. I had life drawing to show. I had like a portfolio that was pretty decent. But I mean, compared to the other students that got accepted like right out of high school, there was people there that were already like good enough to be at Disney, you know, it was yeah. very intimidating. Uh-huh. Um, I kind of like, I'm, I'm very happy that it worked out the way it did because um, I got rheumatoid arthritis when I turned 19 and that was the year that I went to CalArts. So like by the time I graduated, my hands were pretty jacked up. And it, I've been able to maintain a career using CG, but I don't think I could have if I was drawing because yeah. it just takes too much out of my hands. Um, so I think it worked out perfectly. <laughs> and I, I learned CG animation from, it was funny, I, I was working at this little company that nobody had ever heard of really called, they were called Paradox Development at the time. And they were known for making like a Wu-Tang game for the Sony PS1. And <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. And the game I worked I worked on when I was there was a um, next it was a X Men fighting game for like the GameCube and PS2, um, and we made a backyard wrestling game and some other stuff. But the, my animation lead there um, eventually went on to be the animation director and then like game director of God of War. His name is Corey Bar- Barlog. He was a really good animator twenty years ago, and he taught he taught me a lot. You know, it's like if it wasn't for having leads like him, I don't think I ever could have uh, succeeded in VFX because in VFX, you really have to have a very strong understanding of body mechanics Mm -hmm. and how it relates to not just people, but creatures and cars and whatever. Like you just have to understand how to recreate physics and like realistic physics, you know, and um, I'm, you know, wouldn't have been able to work on shows like Terra Nova, which was a dinosaur show. Right. I've ever gotten to Jurassic Park, but I'm still <laughs> hoping that I get to work on a Jurassic World someday. It's still early. <laughs> it's still early. They've still got like 15 of those planned, so it doesn't mean that I will you miss a chance. Just right in. Yes. <laughs> so currently right now I'm working on cinematics for video games, and I'm really enjoying this job because it's getting me to like really fine-tune my camera work and editing process because my supervisor um has just a really keen eye for that stuff and so if I ever do get to go back you know working previs and films and stuff I think I'm going to come back even stronger having had this job you know because uh awesome I'm feeling a lot more like I understand the rhythm of shot language and stuff and and when to move the camera and when not to move the camera and all that stuff it's all like super important and I think that helps me with my writing too because I try to write very sparse, quick moving scripts that are very visual um, because I'm always thinking about the edit in my head when I'm writing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, I, absolutely. Yeah. So I think um, watching movies like Jurassic Park um, and not just being taken in by the really great acting and the really great visual effects, but also just the really great filmmaking, you know? 
It's one of the movies I go back to and I I look at and I just think this is so like this Jaws, (laughs) perfect movies. (laughs) Jaws is incredible. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Jaws is still one of my favorite movies of all time and it's just perfect in every way. Which so we'll makes have me to laugh. back to talk about Jaws. <laughs> I know, right? Sorry. I'm just like all over the map right now. <laughs> I love it. Can you give me, and I always ask people this, and I started out asking one, but it's just really hard when it's one of your favorite movies. What yeah. are your top three favorite scenes of Jurassic Park? Oh, okay. I know I tried well, to do obviously... You know what? Take as many as you want to. This is your parade. <laughs> Don't care. Um, jumping to the end of the film, there's nothing quite like the kitchen scene with the two kids and the raptors and them, you know, tricking the raptors and getting away. I mean, all of that stuff in the third act is so great. And what's really funny is they pre because originally before it was going to be done in CG, Phil Tippett was going to do all the dinosaurs in stop motion. Mm-hmm. And um, so they stop motion animated that scene as sort of a pre-visualization. Um, and I think you can find it online and it's probably on the Blu-rays and stuff like that. It still looked really good. But now that people are used to seeing the, you know, every year the the level of CG animation just gets higher and higher and higher yeah. and higher, you know? So like nowadays, if you were to put something like, animation that was about the quality of like the first uh, toy story or jurassic jurassic park might still be okay but like the first toy story if you if i'm not talking about your shots from toy story but if you animated at that level you probably wouldn't get hired (laughs) it's like the expectations are so effing high now yeah um so it, it some people kind of um lament that Tippett didn't get to do the effects on Jurassic Park because a lot, you know, there are some people who are very uh, kind of resentful of CG and I get it, you know, it, it has kind of changed the way films are made in a, in a very real way. And some people yeah. just aren't willing to make that jump into that. But um, I feel like it just wouldn't have been as transformative if it had been done in stop motion because the way that they were able to, just really refine the motion and the weight and the lighting and everything like that. You could do that all. You can mess with that as much as you want in CG. And that's the thing I think directors are fine. You know, of course, directors know this now. Um, uh, but like, and it's, it's kind of to the detriment of filmmaking nowadays because directors know that they can tweak things to the last second. Yeah, you absolutely. <laughs> so <laughs> I've worked on movies where they were still doing shots, you know, weeks before it was going to be out in the theater. So yeah, they, I mean, <laughs> even on the South Park movie, I worked on that in my freshman year, uh, my second semester of my freshman year. And I can remember them changing that film up until a week or two before it was out in the theater because it was all digital, you know, So and it was very simple animation and stuff. So it was very easy for them they they and they'd already had a few years of experience doing the TV show, so they they knew that they could just change things up to the last second, you know, <laughs> regardless of right. to the team. But you know, filmmakers like the fact that you know CG can be uh, edited so far into production and stuff. They can change the design of something. They can change the lighting on something. You know, they can change their mind about. Like on Ninja Turtles, the first one, the director had been changing his mind about um, 
dialogue and ADR, which is very easy. Well, I won't want to say easy, but when your characters are full CG and they're like, they're motion captured and stuff like that, like the actors mm-hmm. could just come into the studio, do the, the ADR, and then they just send it to the animation team and they just change the dialogue, you know? Right. It just mimics so, the <laughs> Yeah. It's really changed the way film making is going and it kind of gives directors too much power, in my opinion. Yeah. Because then they they stop editing themselves so much and they just go, well, we can do whatever. We'll just do yeah. whatever, you know, and it works out for some filmmakers and others. I just feel like they might like that's one of the things I appreciate appreciate about old films like from the 50s and 40s and 30s is they didn't have anything like that. They had to tell a good story with good camera blocking and good actor actor blocking and they had to have you know, a really good idea for their lighting setup and stuff because they knew that, and they're shooting it all on film. So it's not like they can go can to do like take 287. Yeah. They can't do what, you know, Kubrick and, and Finch, Fincher does where they're like, okay, take 300. I just want to see, right. you know, and then they can go and look in the viewfinder and rewatch all the takes. Like you couldn't do that back then. Mm-hmm. You know, you just had to fucking get it right. And there's something that's beautiful about that that you can appreciate because they had they had to work with the scraps they were given, basically. And what do you? Um, how do you see like if you're taking Jurassic Park this first one and you're looking at the most recent iteration of Jurassic mm-hmm. Park, are you happy with how far we've come VFX wise, or do you feel like there's something that could have been done differently? Yeah, I feel like those those films. Um, I I I really personally love the original trilogy. I know some people don't like the third one, but I I kind of think it's funny because it's like basically just a game of like, oh god, we're being chased. Oh god, okay, take a break. Oh no, we <laughs> and that's like the whole movie. <laughs> but um, it that one had really beautiful visual effects, and that was in two thousand one. You know, so still mm-hmm. twenty years ago. Uh, I feel like the filmmakers now, because they have such powerful visual effects, they have these amazing teams. ILM usually does most of Jurassic Park stuff. Um, they stop, and it's and it's so wrapped up in marketing now, and toys and merchandise and all that stuff. So they stop trying to tell a good, compelling story, and they just want to get as many dinos on the screen and as many explosions on the screen, and and it just becomes a little bit more commodified and less. You know, so I don't feel like the movies nowadays are nearly as good as they used to be, but like the animation quality is fucking phenomenal, you know, like for sure. I complain about that, but I just wish that, and I, you know, that's just the film nerd in me and the um, Jurassic Park nerd in me. Like, like I feel like if they wanted to, they could tell better stories and still get all that commodity and stuff, but it's, you know, not up to me. So <laughs> it's <universal. laughs> one of their babies. Right. So, um, yeah, I feel like it, it does suffer some because now they can literally do anything. And they, so they're like, let's do everything, you know, whether yeah, it's, all, it, it's, it's that famous quote, they're so excited about what they could do. They didn't stop to think whether they should, you know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bringing it back. Because I feel like some things are are kitchen sinky these days yeah. where it's yeah. like we just throw everything at the wall and see if it sticks. And it's I feel and, like. What was the movie that I watched recently? I'm trying to think of what it was. I'm probably not going to name names because <laughs> still trying to get a jab. Um, but it, it it was literally it was just basically about a good 25 solid minutes of nothing but obvious CGI, and it was just two human beings on the screen. 
Like right. it was just, that's all it was. And I would love to say that it was something like, it was like matrix, but it wasn't. It was something that was very simple, like a fight scene or a car chase where it just seemed, everybody just looked rubbery right. and it was just things that would not happen. And I'm trying to think, oh, expand your mind, expand your horizons. But I feel like, like to your point, there's nobody really thinks if they should, they just are yeah. very excited to do. So yeah, and I think sometimes filmmakers don't understand how long it takes to do something well. And sometimes they tack these things on at the last minute, like, oh, I saw this cool thing and now I want to put it in my film. And you've got like three weeks left in production. So somebody's got to <laughs> quickly make that digital double and like do all, you know, it's, it's going to suffer quality wise if you don't have the time to do it properly. I remember I was watching the Two Towers last night, the Lord of the Rings movie, and I was really impressed with how. Because, you know, the movie opens up with Gandalf fighting the Balrog mm -hmm. and they're falling. And there's a lot of digi-double stuff happening. There's a bit of plate of Ian McKellen, but it's a lot of it's digi-double. And what I found really impressive was that Weta did it in such a way that it didn't feel like a digi-double. Like there was enough texture in the movement that it didn't mm -hmm. feel rubbery and like overly CG'd. And because usually, because I've done a lot of digi-double work, um, having worked on like Supergirl and The Flash and those kinds of shows. And it can so easily, especially if you don't have time, to get, it just looks rubbery. Like no matter how hard you try, you can't get it to feel like a real human because there's too much softness in the motion. Yes. And they managed to do it where there was enough texture and kind of jerkiness to it where it didn't look broken, but it didn't look CG either. And I was like, they did this 20 fucking years ago. Like, <laughs> and it still looks amazing. It still <laughs> looks great. Yeah. And that's why like, I wonder like where we're headed. Where in your career do you feel comfortable saying this is where I wish we were headed or this is where I, I wish we would start seeing more of in movies like this well like I just recently watched no don't look up and that movie has a lot of really great cg stuff in it that is not it's not overwhelming and it's not overdone it's done in a way that actually supports the story and that's that's what I want to see. You know, I don't want mm -hmm. films to just be these crazy extravaganzas. Now, of course, say, having said that, I've worked on a lot of Marvel stuff. I happen to love Marvel stuff because it's a, it's a very fun, adventure-y thing. But the thing is, is most Marvel things are really well-written and they're well-directed. <laughs> and they're not just throwing CG on the, on the wall, you know, for funsies. Like, everything is done with a, a joke or a sense of humor or a sense of satin. Or, like, they they really seem to know what they're doing. You know, John Favreau is an amazing director and you've got Taika's like Thor film was incredible. You know, like it didn't, doesn't bother me that it's a CG extravaganza because the story underneath it is so strong. And that's all I want. I want the, the filmmakers to focus more on the script and just know that they have the, at their fingertips, all of this great CG technology that they can use later, but like, don't, don't use it as a crutch to cover up a bad script because it's right. never, ever, 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 ever worked. <laughs> I think of tons of <laughs> films ever. that had amazing CG effects and just were unwatchable. <laughs> so, you know, I just think, it, and, then I, and because I know so many writers, you know, from Twitter and stuff like that, I know there are good writers out there. I know there are good stories that haven't been told and that could be, you know, use visual effects in a way that um, isn't screaming at itself. Like if you think of the, the Revenant, that bear fight, um, I'm, I have a friend who was the anim supervisor on that. It was also the anim supervisor on the tiger in Life of Pi. 
and wow that bear is fucking flawless like people don't realize that leo was fighting with a like a big green stuffy the entire time or he was in a person with a green suit on that was going to get digitally removed but he you know stuff like that is really impressive and it's invisible like people don't realize that that was a cg bear you know but when you start seeing like the behind the scenes stuff you're like oh my god that wow you know that looks so amazing um and cg can be used in ways like with birdman where that was meant to be like just one camera take with no cuts there's cuts in there it's just hidden with cg and it's hidden with compositing and just tricks and stuff like that like i just think um whatever you do should be in the service of the script not the other mm-hmm. way around you know oh, like correct. <laughs> yeah and we're thinking of this movie as a jump off or a just like a starting off point for this type of animation mm-hmm. and to your point of saying you know coming back to the line they thought about what they wanted to do and didn't think about if they should what do you feel that this movie was trying to say, well, I guess in the scope of visual effects or where it could head that? I thought you meant the story's theme, which was, you know, human hubris, but. Oh, go for it. I if that's what you human... want, can well, please continue on that vein? Because we talked about that a little bit today. Yeah. <laughs> it. Yeah. I think, it's like, you know, I, I remember I, I read the book so long ago that I don't even really remember it now I know that it was pretty different from the movie but it still had the same themes of Mm -hmm. you know human hubris and you know even if uh the characters Hammond thank you god my brain is like not working today even if Hammond um had really good intentions sitting out you know on the outset he didn't let you know a little thing like doubt (laughs) about his judgment and um that hubris ended up being his downfall and I think that's just a really great allegory for everything that we were experiencing for the last you know our whole lifetimes (laughs) um but with the cg stuff like I think that um it really opened up so many worlds and avenues for filmmakers out there to, to what because there's always been scripts that people wanted to make, but they're like, this is just too expensive and it's impossible to make this. So it gets scrapped or right. it gets shelved. Like now we are do- we're seeing incredible CG on TV shows like, you know, The Expanse or, you know, that's a, a I wouldn't really call it a network show, but and I don't know if I would call the CG we did on The Flash and Supergirl amazing, but, you know, compared to like, 25 years ago being able to do that level of stuff on television on a 23 24 25 episode series would be impossible and now you know we can do these things in you know now we've got video games that look almost photo real you know what i'm saying so like every year there's an exponential growth in the technology and there's the collective knowledge of all of the people working in the industry who are also training up new people who get the benefit of all of that collected knowledge that we all had to spend years and years and years doing, they can just get it and go forward, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just going to keep exponentially growing. And where I don't really know where filmmaking goes beyond this. Like if in 10 years, we're going to be having like um, holographic projections, like (laughs) 
<laughs> minority real actors in this movie. Right. Well, no, people have always been worried about that. And it's, it's prohibitively expensive to replace all your actors with digital characters. It really is. I mean, Good. <laughs> I, yeah, I wouldn't worry about that. Um, there might be some filmmakers that want to do that, but it's never really worked out. I've seen it tried with, um, what was that Zemeckis film about the old, like the old um, European story about the, oh, I can't remember. I can't remember anything right now. But. <laughs> Zemeckis has tried to do it a bunch of times with like Polar Express and that film and other films and it just never really looks right. There's, you know, the only people I think that have ever really nailed it is Weta and they, they did it in this film. Uh, it was a, uh, God, what is the, the French filmmaker who did the, um, oh God, I'm so terrible today. Um, the guy who did The Professional, he did this film where there's they had these alien characters that don't even they still have human kind of proportions in their face but they don't look human but the technology has gotten so good over there that they're they seemed like they were real things like they right. they broke the you know the uncanny valley for me um Luke Besson I'm an idiot anyways <laughs> one of Luke Besson's films and um uh I think it's you know it's been done and stuff but in terms of like completely replacing a, a whole cast of people and doing it for an entire film still expensive and prohibitive and still I don't think we're at a point where you can have that on screen for 90 minutes and people won't start picking up on the CG-ness of it yeah. so I think that it's still going to be used as a seasoning and not the you know main dish um, gotcha. because people thought that mocap was going to replace animators like 15 years ago and it hasn't mm -hmm. I mean, you can't just drop raw mocap into a scene and leave it like you can't because no mocap, no matter how amazing your setup is, is going to come in without little hitches and problems and stuff. So you still have to have an animator who comes in and cleans that stuff up. But then you also have a director and producers who have notes and want to change things and blah, blah, blah. And like, that's when the animator goes in and, and makes whatever changes they want. You know, mm -hmm. you still need people to go in and do that. So. I don't think the actors are ever going to get replaced because it's just something that is not accepted wide enough by the audience. You know, when they see certain movies where the entire 90 minutes is all these CG people, it just starts to weird you out a little bit, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And I can see where that would feel like kind of crunchy looking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> is well, really crunchy word in animation? <laughs> yeah, I'll allow it. <laughs> thank you well this has been great I mean I think this has been probably one of our most educational ones because oh, cool. I am I am fascinated by by visual effects and I'm so excited that you are in a place where you're you know you're gaining more knowledge and and you're so excited about bring bringing what you've learned into the next foray into what you do and that yeah I love that I love when people are passionate about the things that that they're doing where it doesn't I'm not saying it's not arduous but it doesn't right. feel like a job it is something that you're very passionate about doing oh no I and, feel so fortunate these like especially with the last couple of years with everything that's been going on like if I didn't have a job that I really love that I could dive into I, I don't even know what I would <laughs> where right. I would be mentally <laughs> right yeah and I, you know what it, it's you don't want to say lucky but it's like it's it's a blessed feeling to be able yes. to bring something so exciting and visual to because it's such it's such an important part of our 
of our senses and art right now, especially has been one of the most important things throughout this ongoing pandemic Mm -hmm. um, that people have been consuming. So to be able to have a hand in that has to feel really, really good. Yeah, it does. I feel, I know, I know I've worked really hard to get here and stuff, but it's still luck. It, there's still luck in, involved and there's still, um, I still feel very fortunate and blessed and I don't take any of it for granted. <laughs> um, I feel, I'm just the type of person that counts my blessings daily. Um, Cause I can remember a time when I felt like nobody liked me. I wasn't worthy of love. I was dumb and useless and I can remember thinking I didn't even want to live anymore, like when I was a teenager, you know, so the fact that I've come as far as I have, and I finally gained confidence in myself, um, and also just have a passion, and also one thing I love about having joined Twitter and met all the writers that I've met and stuff is that I can, um, we can, we can kind of, uh, we can exchange and share our, our skills, you know, like people Mm -hmm. help me with my writing and give me great notes and things like that. And then I can help people if they're getting ready to shoot something like how, and they have questions about how to set something up for visual effect. I can do that. Um, I'd, I'd still love to do another web webinar where I show um, filmmakers how they can do their own previs, you know, if they can't afford a storyboard artist or they can't afford, you know, to hire a previs house. Like I can show you, you know, very quick, cheap ways to get at least, you know, still images using lenses and stuff to get your storyboards out. Um, Because I just feel like I, like the community has been so giving and loving to me that I just want to give back, you know, and I'd love to do a talk too. I'd love to get together with all the ladies on Twitter who have ADHD like me and just talk about how, you know, as when you're a kid and you have this and you haven't yet found your passion, you just feel like you're an idiot and dumb and stupid and useless and, you're never going to go anywhere because you have such a hard time concentrating. But when you find mm-hmm. that thing that drives you, you can be so successful, you know, and like not don't worry that you haven't found it yet. You will find it. Just keep looking and don't worry about whether you're going to be successful because you find that thing and you're going to go full force into it head first, eyes down you know, 12 hours goes by in an instant because you've been doing your work, you know, that's what it feels like. It's just like going into a trance almost. <laughs> no, I love that. And it's yeah. like, it's things, <laughs> I'm looking for that for myself. But, um, but I think that that's what's so important about finding that and finding that camaraderie or that, I guess that online found family. Yeah. Um, when you're, when you're an adult and especially as someone who's in her mid forties is, is Mm -hmm. so precious um, because you're finding those people and those people are interacting with you for the right reasons. And it's not to, you know, just to have friends or just to have a circle. It's these people are in your life for a particular reason. And it feels, it feels wonderful. It really, it really does. Totally. Like I, I'm very blessed in that I have, you know, a happy relationship, a happy family, and I, the friends that I have in my life, I'm they're there because I want them there, not because I need something from them or whatever, you know, it's like, it's a good feeling, you know, because you just feel genuine with each other and you don't have to ever have to worry about like feeling awkward or like not knowing if you should trust people or what, like I've finally gone beyond that in my life and, yeah. you know, just feeling settled, which is oh, such a blessing. <laughs> yeah. And there's we no all know how 
Oh yeah. I mean, cause we know as, as creative people, how easily we can read into things and feel, mm-hmm. you know, inadequate in like every way we all struggle with that. And that's because we care, you know, if we didn't care, then we wouldn't care about being adequate or inadequate, you know? So yeah, I just went off on yeah. another tangent. Sorry. No, no, I think that's, I think that's a great way to close it out. It's because okay. it's, you know, art is so, it's so, um, it's so personal mm-hmm. and that you found your, your journey this way is really incredible. And to be able to share that and gain perspective and, and still be able to, to learn and then bring what you've learned to something else and then reach out to folks and feel supported by a network. It's all, you know, if you think back to that person who was struggling and seeing what you've been able to accumulate by this art form is really incredible. So I'm very, I'm very moved by that. I think it's Aww. it's beautiful. It's a beautiful story, Elena. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm sorry I completely like flubbed talking about Jurassic Park I don't I should have done my homework (laughs) and watched it again last night (laughs) but I think I what's important for me especially for this pod is to just it's fun to talk about oh this is my favorite scene and this is what I loved about it but it's so interesting to get back to brass tacks and how art really influences us yeah um in other avenues of our life and I think that's really what you did here and I'm really happy with that Yay. Good. Yay. So Elena, if you don't mind, can you tell the folks where they can find either your work, where they can find any projects that you're involved in, anything you want to share? Sure. I mean, if you go to my LinkedIn, you can see the projects that I've worked on. Um, if you go to my IMDB page, uh, not every project I've worked on is on my IMDB. Like, in fact, quite a few aren't. But um, <laughs> yeah, you can go to my LinkedIn. Uh, my Twitter is, hold on a sec. Um, what is my Twitter? <laughs> um, I am at Elena C. Scott on Twitter. Um, my handle is animatorgirl underscore Black Lives Matter underscore she, her. Because um, <laughs> I'm a lib. Weirdo <laughs> libs. Um, but uh, if you go to my LinkedIn, my demo, my website's on there. It's not a very fancy website, but it has my demo reels on it. Um, I don't have anything that I've worked on last year on the demo reel yet. Uh, probably won't, probably won't for a while, but you can get an idea of what I've worked on um, if you go there. <laughs> Yay! Well, I'm so excited that you got to join us today. So thank you for having me. Oh my god! Feel honored. Oh, don't feel honored. That's just me. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm very, very excited for folks to hear about this. And like uh, Lena said, do check out her IMDb. Do check out her website. And other than that, we will see you next week. Okay. Thanks for having me, Ma.